The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 18th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to this programme yesterday, you will have heard an emotional appeal for help from this helpless woman. It is child protection because I can't keep my child safe. My, as a mother, and I hope every mother out there is listening, imagine what it's like to feel like you cannot keep your daughter alive. I have everything in my house locked under key, from razor blades to you name it, anything that I think she can harm herself with. I'm a prisoner in my own home. She doesn't sleep any night, Michael. I set my alarm for every hour, every hour and a half to check and see where she is or what she's up to. That woman's daughter is just 14 years of age and with good reason she has refused to take her child home from Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. The reason, she says, is she doesn't want to bury her child and that if she doesn't get help for her now, her child will end her life. We asked the Minister for Health, Mary Butler, to talk to us about this. Now, the Minister declined our invitation, but she has issued us with a written statement. It says, Minister Butler cannot comment on any individual case in line with GDP or legislation and privacy regulations. As you know, um, I, I cannot comment on any individual case. Minister Mary Butler's written statement to this programme also says that the Minister cannot get involved in matters of clinical guidance under Section 6 of the HSE Governance Act 2013. A Minister may not direct the HSE to provide treatment or a personal service to or confer eligibility on to any individual. So obviously, as I said, I can't um, discuss any individual case on the floor of the doll, but obviously my officials will certainly have it checked out. As I said earlier on, we've received a written statement uh, from Minister Mary Butler, who you've just been listening to there. So obviously, I'm sure you've gathered at this stage, this is not the first time that the Minister has been asked about saving this little girl. In the statement to the programme, the Minister says she takes cases such as this very seriously and engages extensively with the HSE to ensure supports are put in place. I, as I said, I have moved to reinstate the funding of 3.94 million. There are inpatient and supports available for eating disorders for young people. We have them in Galway, Cork and we have two um, inpatient units in, in Dublin and also we, on occasions we have a service level agreement with private providers. So Deputy, if you want to forward it on, we will certainly have a look at it. Right, that's the Junior Minister for for health, Mary Butler, who has a responsibility for mental health. She was speaking in the doll about the little girl we heard about on the programme yesterday, 14 years of age, and her, her mother petrified that this little girl is going to end her own life, and she's been in that situation for some time. You may be interested to know that the recording that you just listened to uh, was recorded on the 29th of April last year and the Minister was responding to Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Meath, Rory O'Muraku who's on the line with us now and a uh, very good morning to you Rory and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. You raised this with the Minister, you clearly outlined to the Minister the seriousness of uh, the situation. Did you think back in April, some nine months ago now, that something was going to happen? 
Yes, look here, in all these circumstances, you know, your role is actually slow enough sometimes to highlight the issue. You have all the private conversations, you talk to mental health services, you talk to the ministers of the record, you do all that. Then you try and bring it uh, into the public domain. And here, you you know, when you're dealing with something uh, as harrowing as the particular issue we're dealing with, you hope that that has the impact and that you can push it on. Like we all accept we're working with a system that isn't fit for purpose. I, I, I think we'd, we'd all accept that. In, in fairness, I spoke to the Minister yesterday again because, uh, look, we get, I suppose, a number of these issues and you deal with it at the particular time and there are times you, you disengage or you leave it to the parent to come back to you, you know, and there's probably been a slight failing on my part, I will say, in, in, in relation to this issue. Now, I'm also aware that... Uh, that there were, uh, I think there was a legal team involved in in, in relation to this. Um, but look, I listened to the interview and fair play to LMFM and sometimes that's what you need to do. It's to highlight the issue. After that, myself, Arnelda Munster, I'm sure all the other TDs um, would have written to the minister. I spoke to her myself. Look, she is well aware of the issue. Now, she will probably get a similar answer from the HSE as to what she gave you. But the fact is the information has completely been put in their place. Here is a child that's beyond crying out. We're in a we are at the very acute end in relation in relation to the care that's required. Now I'm not a clinician, um, but this is not a situation that can be dealt with. Uh, you know, with minimal outpatient care. We're 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 way beyond that point, and we need that critical care piece to fit in. Now we've spoken previously around the fact that there are insufficient beds. Uh, in this state, that we even have a le- a, a less of an amount of them in this particular uh, part of the world. Um, the other thing that's a major, major issue is, if you talk about loud need mental health services, there will be huge t- spaces that aren't filled in relation to whether you're talking about dietitians, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about uh, clinicians, whether you're talking about uh, psychologists. And until we remedy that problem, the system is never going to be fit for purpose and we also know that it's a lottery game uh, in relation to mm, the stakes are high yeah my god that's we, we know which uh, particular yeah, care facility yeah, you get to mm, and then mm. now i know there are complications that when i was dealing with this issue and um, we were dealing with it from the point of view of an eating disorder i'm also aware that the child still mm. or my understanding is the child still hasn't been diagnosed with what exactly the difficulty is but mm. the fact is like the symptoms that you're showing are incre- beyond serious and we just mm. need to arrest it. And that was made very clear to the Minister uh, as well. We were listening to the Minister responding to you there. That was on the 29th of April. On the 2nd of February, uh, the issue was raised and it had progressed and it was made very clear to the Minister that this child was suicidal and had tried to take her own life uh, a number of times and was thinking about nothing but ending her life all of the time. Uh, that was by Peter Fitzpatrick in the Dáil on the 2nd of February. I just want to mention, uh, we'll mention some helpline numbers uh, through the morning. If anybody is affected by this, they can speak to the Samaritans on 116123. Uh, but we're in this situation now where it has been brought to the highest level politically. Uh, does this child have to die? Of course not. 
we all accept the system isn't good enough. Well, the, the hus- just, ju- just to mention you, the, the hospital phoned the mother again yesterday. We've been speaking to the mother this morning. She got a call from the hospital again yesterday asking her to take the child home. Yeah, well, see, the hospital's going to follow its own protocols. Now, she said on that show, and I would have had conversations previously around, you know, a similar situation. And here, I, I think most people's advice was, um, if you don't think you're in a situation where you can possibly do, do all that's necessary to keep the, the child alive, you, you're not going to take that child back into your care. Now, again, there are huge issues, even in relation to somebody getting a care bed, like that the law needs to be looked at in relation to whether someone becomes a, almost a ward of court, you know, because what we actually want is that we have parental involvement and we introduce whatever, be it clinical or therapeutic solutions are required in this situation. And there are two things that I can't make a determination on what's necessary, but all that I know is that this is a child that's way beyond the point of crying out, and here it just shows an mm. absolute failure of the... And the, 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 the alarm ran out. Uh, the, the alarm rang out many, many months a, a, ago. Uh, the problem is going on for two years. You raised it eight, nine months ago. It was raised again in February in uh, the Dáil, and here we have a, a situation, uh, and what happened in the last week or two, as we heard in the programme, uh, was terrifying. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, we'll go back to the interaction between yourself and the Minister with responsibility here, Mary Butler, at uh, 2, the 29th of April. Here's a, a little bit more of what the Minister had to say then. But all I can just reiterate is, first go down if you want to send the details on to my office and um, we'll certainly um, have it looked at. A similar inc- uh, case was was aged, was risen um, was raised by a deputy last week, for example, and I know it had got it got newspaper headlines, but the the deputy didn't send me on the details, so it's very hard for me to come into the house and be told that these are these critical cases of young people who need support for eating disorders if we're not made aware of them. And that would seem fair enough, obviously. But that was April, and this was the first time that the Minister was hearing about this story. If you want to forward it on, we will certainly have a look at it. As I say, that would seem reasonable to anybody. Uh, and uh, this is what Rory Muruku said back to the Minister at the time. I've already sent it on now. It's just landed in your office. I was dealing with uh, the HSC and particularly with uh, Loudmead Mental Health Services, but I believe they have done everything that they can, and there's a level of frustration at their level. So I would really appreciate if you could... Uh, bring whatever pressure you can to bear just to provide a solution because we're dealing with a really, really difficult situation, an absolutely acute situation and, you know, it's it's, it's somebody's health and we are very, very worried. So I, I appreciate whatever you can do for us currently. Okay, that uh, appeal from Rory Murku to the Minister who's hearing about this for the first time, asked for the details, she got the details and don't forget, this goes back to the end of April, the 29th of April, the beginning of May, if you prefer, eight, nine months ago. As you said, just the, the details may have landed at my office today but we will certainly have it looked into and just to make one point obviously all these decisions will always be made um, they're not political decisions they will always be, be made from a clinical medical perspective. Alright and uh, again that is fair enough uh, it'll be a clinical perspective uh, but it, it did sound did it not Rory Omoraku when the Minister was speaking to you that she wanted to get the details so she could look at it and speak uh, to those people who were making those clinical decisions and say you know um, is there anything that can be done here this seems to be a very serious situation Yeah, and what it shows is how dysfunctional the system is, that at that point in time, there was no bed available. And I think that there was a number of weeks that the child would have spent in hospital. And there there were even, I think, periods of the child being taken out 
a, a disaster scenario happening, you know, like you've details lately and then the child being returned to hospital. And then I think the child was taken into a, a care facility. Um, but that was short term. Now, during that period, there was, I, I suppose, so, an engagement with CAMS and the likes of CAMS were very supportive of the child getting a place, you know, as were the hospital. And in fairness, the mother was always very, very supportive in relation to everything that the hospital did, you know, from a point of view of here, you know, making sure they were keeping the child safe. Mm. Um, but the fact is, we don't have the places. We don't have all the positions that are required this child still doesn't have a diagnosis and, and, and that's absolutely frightening. We know that we don't have the weekend care or supports that you require and in an awful lot of cases this falls back to people having to ring uh, ambulance services, people having to ring directly to the Gardaí, you know, who could never be equipped to, de- to deal with this. And also, like I said before, we don't have those early intervention, be it, you know, family supports combined with you know, actual supports for a child that might mean we don't get into these sort of acute waters. Yeah, and when I spoke to the minister yesterday, like the minister is aware of this, um, it's it's always a bit frightening that when you bring this to a minister or, you know, you bring it to senior people within, as I say, the HSE, that it doesn't get sorted. Um, and I know that it does. there's times when situations like this can you know, when the child gets into a better place. But, but all it takes, I suppose, is a trigger and we end up back where we are now at this point in time. And what we need is, we, and the, the only thing that I ever asked for was literally that the child and the family would be given, it was a roadmap of therapy or stroke medical care that could bring her to a better place, excepting there are a lot of difficulties in relation to mental health issues that I am not going to be the person that can make a decision on in relation to diagnosis and what particular care plan is required. But really and truly, we can do better than this. And I am very glad that, you know, LMFM have done this piece of work in shining a light on what is an incredibly serious situation. And this is not the only situation. And if we were just talking even in relation to eating disorders, I've had multiple people through my door, both uh, here teenagers and parents of teenagers and, and also uh, people who, um, young adults, um, who find themselves in these situations and just the difficulty of accessing service. Look, we've spoken in the last while, I think everyone has spoken about the issue in Kerry in relation to CAMS, but we know here that at the middle of last year that you had a waiting list of in around nearly 400 kids waiting to be seen by CAMS. And people sometimes, you know, are happy enough. They're not happy, that they're obviously incredibly unhappy to be waiting, you know, a period of a year or two years or longer to get a service but they also then hope at that point in time that they get into the service that there's going to be a wraparound uh, you know a multi-agency approach you know whatever case conference is required to deal with the issues that their that their kid is going through and that doesn't always happen because the system at the other end has just got too many holes but look you've highlighted this issue mm. in, in, in relation to this 14 year old and it's just one of these situations where the state has no choice and has to do what it needs to do and I don't think any of us are uh, are, are, are going to let this go and like I said I, you know, 
you get caught up in an awful lot of issues in, in, in the particular job we're doing. I'm not giving out about that. And from time to time, you think something has sorted itself to some degree when you, when you haven't heard about it or, or you believe, as I say, the legal team or somebody else is dealing with it. But look, I, I made an attempt myself to, to contact the mother and uh, I, I've asked the third party to, to ensure that that contact would happen at some stage over the next couple of days. And in fairness, I'm, I'm very glad that also, you know, Peter brought the issue up directly with the minister and, has, and that uh, the mother and yourselves have brought this to a head again. But like, yeah, there's an element of a merry-go-round, and it's a it's a failed system when you're going to politicians to try and access services mm. anyway. That mm. just tells you the nature of it in the first place. Well, that's it, and we've asked each of uh, the five TDs and now the meet uh, to comment on uh, this uh, this morning. Peter Fitzpatrick uh, is not going to speak to us uh, because he's uh, been working with uh, the Minister on this since uh, the 2nd of February uh, and uh, will return to it uh, on the programme at another stage but wants to stay behind the scenes for the moment. Fergus O'Dowd is out of the country but we'll be speaking uh, to uh, your colleague Imelda Munster and Jed Nash a little bit later on. We'll also uh, be speaking with mental health reform a little bit later on in the programme. We won't be speaking to the Minister as I said because the Minister is not available and won't be commenting on this uh, because of uh, the reasons I were outlined in her statement earlier on uh, but uh, we are of the understanding uh, that the Minister will be made aware of the programme today and is probably listening to the programme or reading a transcript of what has been said and when she reads through the comments that I'm reading through later on in uh, the programme uh, she will understand that there are a lot of people locally who are very, very upset uh, and despondent to some degree because there's a sense of indecency uh, about all of this. There's something almost obscene about all of uh, this uh, that a, a little girl is at such risk and there is no way of getting her the help that she so desperately needs. Rory Murku, thank you very much indeed for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Some of uh, those comments, Adrienne said, I cried when I heard this story. My heart is sore for this lady and her family. I had exactly the same thing happen with my daughter when she was 15. She's also a twin and I had no help from anywhere. Doors slammed everywhere. It's a total shame on the government and the HSE. Louise says, don't let this young person become another statistic. I pray she gets all the help she deserves. It's beyond a joke, says Donna. It's heartbreaking. She says, there's not enough support in this country for mental health something needs to change. Mandy says the poor girl and her family. It's so hard for teenagers nowadays. I'm going through a similar situation with my 14 year old. I feel for them and understand their struggle. You try so many avenues and most places are just an eight week help gap once a week. There needs to be so much more support for our children and parents. And Sarah says I heard the poor mother pleading for help on the programme. It was gut-wrenching to have to listen to her beg for help for her daughter. There must be someone out there willing to help. No mother should have to bury their child and that's what she's facing into if she can't get the professional help that she urgently needs now. For God's sake, Sarah says, someone give her the help that she needs. Thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us. As I said, we've asked each of uh, the local TDs uh, to talk to this, to talk to us about this on the programme. Uh, Jed Nash of uh, the Labour Party, good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. And I, I know you were speaking with uh, this little girl's mother. I was. And, and, and hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for putting me in touch with her yesterday. Uh, I wasn't aware uh, of this case. I hadn't been contacted uh, by uh, Mary, as we recall her, uh, to protect her identity and the identity of her daughter. Uh, I hadn't been contacted by her and um, wasn't aware of this case until you gave her a platform yesterday um, to, to discuss it. Uh, I, I listened intently yesterday morning. Michael, it was harrowing, um, to put it mildly. Um, Mary is doing what any mother, what any parent any human being would do to protect their child, protect their loved one, to protect any young person. And she um, is coming up against a, a series of, of brick walls here. Um, we've seen, Michael, an, an uptick uh, over the last few months in people in our community contacting us uh, for support for adolescents in terms of access to mental health services. Uh, I read yesterday when I was delving a little deeper into uh, some of the problems we have in terms of resources in this country and access to services for Children or young people who are experiencing mental health problems, uh, I was reading something that the Irish Hospital Consultants Association said ahead of the budget front, they anticipated a, a tsunami of distressed young people uh, presenting, uh, and I'm quoting them here, presenting in crisis to paediatric hospitals and emergency departments. And that's exactly uh, what's been happening. And when I spoke to, to Mary yesterday, um, and, and I could l- literally predict uh, to a point what it is she was going to say, a lot of these problems seem to revolve around the fact that there is no access to a diagnosis. Um, so our system um, can't seem to label or categorise uh, or put Mary's young daughter into a box and therefore doors close. Now, what kind of world are we living in, uh, Michael, if the idea that somebody is self-harming and is showing very explicit suicidal ideation um, that they cannot access an acute hospital bed and an acute service. What kind of world is that? And what kind of country is that? This country is failing uh, people like Mary's daughter. Um, we're not unique here in terms of the problems we have. These are problems that are experienced across uh, the world. But our mental health budget, uh, 5% of, of, of uh, the health budget, the entire health budget goes to mental health services. Comparable countries, uh, it's between 10 to 15%. Mm. Uh, percent. And there's a huge job of work to be done to invest those resources and, 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 and how many times how many times does it go unnoticed uh, and I'm not talking about the radio program this morning we're trying to bring attention to this in the hope that somebody will listen uh, but this has been raised in the doll a number of times uh, and I imagine that there's an awful lot of cases that don't get that type of attention that it isn't brought to the minister's door the way this case has been twice uh, so what is happening in the country uh, and if it's brought to the minister's door and the minister appears helpless, as helpless as the little girl's mother, what kind of a, a situation uh, are, are we in and is there any hope? Is there any hope for this little girl? 
But we all need to um, make efforts to to assist, and we we'll do it individually and, and collectively. Um, what I can't understand, Michael, is the uncaring nature of the system um, when a family experiences a, a trauma. And a, um, it seems to me that if you don't fit into a category, um, you don't have a clear diagnosis, then you fall between the cracks. And we know what can happen from um, our lived experience when people fall through cracks uh, and nobody wants to anticipate what might happen and, and what the young girl's mum sees happening. She does not want to lose her daughter and we can't let that happen. But where is the multidisciplinary team approach? Where is the multi-agency approach here? I was reading last night um, a very lengthy document um, agreed between the HSE, Tuzla and other organisations a couple of years ago uh, about how they're supposed to swing into action and work together to address problems like that. I don't have all of the details and I know that certain services uh, have functioned reasonably well um, for the family. Uh, There are other agencies who need to provide support here. I was struck yesterday uh, by what Mary said uh, about, for example, the Child and Family Agency. Uh, While strictly speaking, um, legally, technically, this might be considered uh, a child protection agency. Uh, If you look at various elements of uh, the governing acts and governing legislation for the Child and Family Agency, but any human being would consider this to be a child protection issue. So where is the child and family agency in this? Um, are they working with the HSE to get the best possible care for a child who's at risk of losing her life? Okay, I just mentioned it again that if uh, people listening to us uh, feel that they'd like to speak to somebody, the Samaritans can be reached on 116123. So Sad also offers help and you can ring them on 041-984-8754. That's 984-8754. I cannot imagine what it took for Mary uh, to make the call to us. Uh, uh, as you say, Mary is not her, her real name uh, and we asked her to use a pseudonym because uh, her daughter is a juvenile and to protect the identity and privacy uh, of her daughter's situation. But for Mary to have gone public and graphically outlined the problems that her daughter is facing in life uh, and all for the sake of appealing for help, uh, it must have taken an awful lot of despair, I was going to say courage, but despair to get to that point where you say, look, I'll do this in a last ditch effort to try and get somebody to listen to me. Uh, When she hung up from uh, the conversation on the radio, she got a call from her Lady of Lords Hospital asking her to take her daughter home again. Uh, And that's after her being on the radio for 20 minutes saying, I don't want to take my daughter home from the hospital in case she kills herself. It's an incredible situation. It it is. um, And this is the overly bureaucratic bureaucratic, um, system uh, that we, we are dealing with. Um, systems ought to be operated by human beings and human care and attention needs to be brought to this. Um, and while strictly speaking, it might not be the responsibility of one single department or agency or individual or unit within our health service or child and family services uh, and so on, they need to work together to identify a care plan for this young girl. Firstly, to make sure that she does not take her own life uh, that we're not bearing a young teenage girl uh, in the north of our county uh, at any point any point soon. Um, and then systems need to be developed to wrap around that young girl and her family. I am frankly concerned from what I heard on the radio yesterday and the discussion I had about the care of, of, of the family more generally. Uh, Mary, 
articulated very, very um, eloquently the problems that the family are experiencing arising from um, the situation that her young daughter is in. This has an impact on her as a mum. It has an impact on the three other children in the family. Uh, and if it's a case that our agencies um, can't come up with an acute bed uh, and a plan uh, over the next few days for Mary's daughter, who's in the Lord's Hospital at the moment, then what they need to do is to work together to plan to support this family through this very, very difficult time. Um, that's what's required mm. as well. Um, we can't forget them in this. I don't think anybody is. Uh, but we need to be mindful of, of their of their um, situation uh, as well, because Mary has uh, other family members to take care of as mm. well, yeah. uh, who are traumatised uh, because of what what what, what mm. they are what they are going through. Right. Three other children, um, one of them being the little girl's twin. Yeah, that's right. Okay, look, um, I, I I don't know if we're going to get a, a solution today, but hopefully the talk. Uh, about the situation will uh, help bring some uh, attention to it uh, uh, with uh, those who, who can uh, intervene and bring about the type of health that's needed. Uh, we'll have more discussion about this later on, but uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Labour TD for Louth and East Meath, Jed Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the emergency appears uh, to be over and uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team is uh, to be wound down as a result. At least that's uh, the recommendation uh, from NEFID, along with other recommendations, which include an end to it being mandatory to wear masks in quite a lot of settings. Uh, it is a, a remarkable situation after a remarkable two years. Let's speak to Duncan Gray, Managing Director with Retail Excellence Ireland. Good morning to you, Duncan, and thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I think it got to a stage where none of us thought we'd ever get to this stage. Yeah, you're right, Michael. It's, it's good to be on again. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Look, it was the 10th of August 2020 when mask wearing became mandatory in um, in shops. And, uh, you know, so that's 18 months ago now at this stage. And I think, look, overall, retailers and, and customers have very much stuck to the rules around mask wearing. Um, I think it's become something we do by habit now. We walk in and out of any shops, we put our mask on, um, we take it off when we come out. And, um, you know, I think that's been something that uh, has become custom and practice and look i think this announcement if it comes off over the next few weeks um will be very welcome news uh, but i'm not sure it's going to be welcome news for everybody Mm. i know there's still going to be a lot of people out there with concerns um but from a retail perspective i guess it is just another step along the 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 journey and uh, back to normality absolutely uh, yeah we we welcome it in that sense Uh, and if you think back in time to before the pandemic uh, if you go back to let's say 2019 i think a retailer would have been very suspicious of anybody coming into a shop wearing a mask for that matter Uh, i I take it that won't be the case when uh, it's no longer mandatory to wear them that people will still be welcome to come into shops with face masks if that's what they choose to do yeah, you're right, and I think this is this is the whole point, isn't it? And I think the words "optional" and "personal choice" were being banded around yesterday, in particular. And I think for us, that's the key key piece here. That um, you know, I, firstly, I don't see that we're going to get to a point, and I may be wrong on this, 
But, you know, if, if an announcement is made that on the 1st of March uh, mask wearing is no longer mandatory, I don't see that everybody's going to be walking around shops without wearing masks on that day. I think it will be, it will be gradual and I think it will come down to personal choice. And there will be a lot of people around who will still choose to wear them, whether they be retail workers or whether they be customers. Mm. And, you know, the point from our side is that we need to make sure that people don't feel uncomfortable either wearing them or not wearing them. Okay, it's but a gradual transition. I take it, Duncan, therein might lie the difficulty because uh, customers can choose to go into shops or not or go into shops at, at some times and not at other times if they're particularly packed. Uh, the staff uh, obviously have to be in the shop uh, to work uh, if they want to be employed uh, and if it's not mandatory to wear a mask, uh, they may feel vulnerable uh, to developing COVID because there's still a lot of COVID about, it seems. And and uh, there is concern uh, from the workers. Uh, the Mandate Trade Union, which represents a lot of retail workers, has been asking the government to hold off suspending uh, the mandatory aspect of this. Yeah, and look, I, I guess right the way along the line from a retail perspective here, we have uh, gone along with uh, government and NEFIC guidance, even though they, even through those extremely difficult periods this time last year when retail was effectively or non-essential retail was effectively shut you know the business uh, the industry has has moved online in a lot of cases and and significantly moved on i think when it comes to retail workers you know look this wouldn't be this wouldn't be moving in this direction if it wasn't guidance coming from public health so we we stick with that but i think the point around uh, employees is they they should if they feel more, more comfortable wearing masks in retail settings, then absolutely continue mm. to wear masks in retail settings. Um, but also, there's a lot of retail workers out there who are just desperate to get the masks off. Mm. You know, if you're if mm. you're sitting there for eight hours a day or standing there for eight hours a day uh, serving customers, then you know it, it becomes in a in a. It, we've all seen, haven't we? We've all gone on on buses and things where we've been on there for quite some time, and it's it, it gets very uncomfortable after a while. So there are a lot of people who. Uh, given the choice of taking them, taking them off, we'll do that. Mm. Um, you know, and, and uh, but I equally agree. You know, there's ten thousand cases a day still of uh, Omicron and, and, and coronavirus around in the country, and you know those things can't be underestimated. So, you know, we do have to watch this very carefully in the future. All right. Well. Uh, it looks like uh, they will be lifted, uh, the uh, the restriction will be lifted, and it'll no longer be mandatory. Uh, I think it's expected around the end of the month. Is it? Yeah, look, I, I think there is. There, obviously, it's going to cabinet next week, by by all accounts. Um, so I think we'll hear something uh, in terms of a confirmed date at that point. I think what we're tending to to look towards is is the first of March as being the date. But you know that may change it. If anything, it may be moved forward a bit. But um, uh, look, it's certainly going to be in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks. I would think. Okay, and uh, just to conclude, do you think that will be good for business or bad for business? Uh, overall, I think it will be good for business. Yep. Um, I think that, you know, from a, uh, it was interesting, wasn't it, when the Taoiseach said what he said uh, at the last time he stood uh, on the steps there a few weeks ago, he talked around, we can smile again. Uh, unfortunately, we've not been able to smile in retail settings because we've been up behind a mask. So, you know, from the 1st of March, hopefully retailers can smile at customers again. Okay, very good. We'll leave it there. Thank you, indeed, for joining us uh, this morning. Duncan Gray, Managing Director with Retail Excellence Ireland. 
Well, let's return to the emergency or how the emergency is over and speak once again to Dr. Mary Scully, GP with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navin. Good morning to you, Dr. Scully. Thanks as always for joining us on the programme this morning. What do you uh, uh, think of the advice coming from Neffet? It seems as though they're saying call the whole thing off. Yeah, they're kind of, we are done. And mm. There's a flavour of that coming from them. Um, all right, and they're talking about disbanding. Um, you know, it's it's all over, apparently, <laughs> according to Nefet. Um Yeah, and it's not really quite all over, because, but I suppose we've got to the stage now with vaccinations and the Omicron being less severe mm. and hospitalisations not as frequent. But I suppose we just have to learn now to live with it, as we're, as has been said many times. Okay. Uh, excuse me, I'm not sure. I think it was probably about a month ago, and I was saying I was finding it hard to understand uh, because there were so many people in hospital, so many people in ICU, uh, and so many people dying with COVID. I think at that stage it was around 12 a day, or that was uh, the average reported uh, on the week previous. Yesterday, there were about 9,500 people confirmed uh, with having uh, COVID, uh, 5,000 uh, PCR tests, uh, four and a half thousand uh, antigen tests 58 people in ICU uh, on Wednesday Neffet uh, said uh, that 6,399 people had died uh, with problems related to COVID and that included 108 deaths in the past week since last Wednesday uh, that works out uh, even more than last time I, I was bamboozled the last time at 12 a day that's over 15 a day 15 deaths a day from COVID uh, and it's a, it can, can you explain why it's not an emergency anymore? It's difficult isn't it um, you know but I think it remains problematic for certain groups of people so the elderly uh, those with any underlying medical issues those who are immunosuppressed it's certainly going to remain uh, possibly an emergency, an ongoing emergency with them, and they are going to are the people who are going to have to continue being careful, wearing masks, um, avoiding crowded situations, etc. But mm. I suppose the message coming from Neffet is that the rest of the population, the younger, healthier groups of people, can start going about their normal business and living their normal lives again. Mm. And I suppose that's the message, really. And what does that mean? What does younger mean, for example? Um, I would <laughs> you're younger than me. Um, <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's not what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say under, you know, like certainly under sixty, sixty-five um, would be counted as being younger right. if you don't mm. have any underlying medical problems. Mm. And if you're over sixty-five. Um, what should you yeah, be doing? Well, should you be cocooning? Should you be wearing masks? Uh, is it enough if you're wearing masks, uh, if other people aren't wearing masks? Well, I think it definitely wearing a mask protects you at least, mm. you know. So, um, it, uh, you know, I think that was always, the, you know, the thing about mask wearing. It protects you um, from other people as well. So, yeah, I mean, even talking to some of my patients this morning, you know, the, the some of them are definitely unhappy with the advice um, and they're not going to be following it. They're going to be mm. continuing to wear masks in crowded places. They're going to be avoiding crowded places. They're, you know, um, and certainly in here in our medical centre, we'll be, we'll be keeping up the mask wearing but that's um, still recommended in healthcare facilities anyway um, but yeah it's, it's, you know I don't know how long we'll have to be wearing masks for if it's going to be forever for now um, mm. but uh, yeah you know but they, I suppose you know younger people they have to be I suppose be able to get back to normal life at some point 
And if not now, when everybody pretty much is fully vaccinated and the variant going round is not so severe, if not now, then when? April, May, when the good weather comes? Yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, uh, a rationale for having left it a little bit later, maybe the end of March, you know, beginning of April. Um, but the mood seems to be on effort that, you know, the, the message is coming out that, yeah, we're going to, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all over. Mm, okay. Um, if you're talking about 10, 12 or 15 people dying on a, a daily basis, uh, how, how would that uh, compare to a serious illness like the flu? Well, you see, the flu always did have mm. a, a definite mortality in the in the winter months, but because we were kind of used to it and they sort of accepted it, it wasn't headline news. Mm. And I suppose COVID's going to be a bit like that, you, you know. That but would it be as many as that? I mean, that's an uh, awful lot of people dying from COVID every day, 15 a day. Is it with COVID or of COVID, though? That's always been a little bit sort of hazy as to whether people came in with something yeah. and had COVID and died with their underlying illness as opposed to but happened to have COVID. Okay, yeah. So that's not been absolutely clear um, as to whether they died of mm. or with COVID. Mm. And the only reason we're having this conversation is because we have the figures. Uh, if they wind NEFA down, uh, I take it uh, that sort of information uh, will stop being made public as well. Yeah, and they're talking about winding down testing, um, you know, mm. so PCR testing is going to be probably limited just to high-risk groups and the average person who gets symptoms will just be told off of you to isolate until you feel a bit better or do mm. your antigen tests and, you know, and on you go with it. Mm. Um, so that we won't have figures like we do now um, where we're kind of poring over the, the latest figures every single day. So mm. it will become sort of more you know, a background phenomenon. Yeah, and I'm just expressing my confusion uh, in the hope of trying to understand it. Uh, I'm not really calling into question uh, the expertise uh, that uh, is applied to making these decisions or or, uh, the competence of NEFIT. Quite the opposite. Uh, They have proved that they really uh, do have a handle on all of uh, this sort of thing and you'd have to have some trust in what they're saying. Mm. Uh, But at, at the same time, uh, is it right to wonder are we going to regret this because I mean I think they're expecting new variants uh, down the line and uh, if we don't have the structures in place uh, we're going to have to scramble to put them back together again whether that's testing or nephid or all of the things that go with it Well I suppose they have the experience now and I think the rationale is that if we need to sort of up, we step up things again if a new more dangerous variant comes along that we now know what the procedures are to get it all stepped up again and it shouldn't take too long to do that but you know we haven't got a new variant on board at the moment there isn't any sign of one particularly so we kind of just have to get on with things and you know hope for the best so really? the advice then is uh, get back to normal, forget about it, don't worry about it if you're young and fit. If you're over 65, uh, be a little bit more cautious, wear masks. Yeah, that, that's what I would be inclined to suggest to people is, is if they have an underlying illness, if they're a little bit older, I'd still be cautious and still be wearing masks, um, you know, when out and about or in crowded places. But I think, you know, for the younger, fitter population, I think, yeah, it probably is time to take Neffet's advice. And remember, Neffet hasn't really steered us too far wrong in the last two years. Mm. So if they're saying, get on with it, you know, I'm kind of happy to take that advice on board and 
get on with it, really. Okay. Well, I'll say nothing. <laughs> if, if you don't mind, I'll say... You might to regret this conversation in another <laughs> Just say nothing at all. Uh, and you might see me walking down the street with a mask on, uh, but maybe on the other side of the street. <laughs> yeah, well, you won't be alone, I think. I think yeah, there'll be plenty yeah. of others that won't be so keen to give up their mask wearing just uh, as of yet. All right. Look, thank you, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. Dr. Mary Scully, thank GP you, with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. Let me bring you some of the comments that have been coming to us and there's so many people who have been in touch with us uh, not just today but over the last couple of days because the programme has uh, I don't know um, if it's taken on a, a new level uh, it's not the usual kind of conversation and comments uh, I, I think or at least I'm getting the impression I'm getting the sense that people are, are caught up uh, in the story about uh, this little girl and the situation that she is in uh, and uh, it's certainly the way I feel but anyway let me bring you uh, some of the comments that are coming to us uh, a listener in Navin texting say, saying why do people in the HSE have to be shamed into doing their job properly I'm talking about those in charge uh, who are on large salaries uh, this child is being neglected and her mother is at her wits end shame on them says our listener Dave in touch saying uh, well done highlighting the issue he says uh, my partner and I were only speaking about it uh, this morning because I didn't hear the original broadcast uh, as we both felt this woman's pain is not being able to get help for uh, uh, I'm actually delighted listening this morning knowing that action is being taken it, it, it's a show like yours that actually makes those in power listen if uh, it weren't highlighted on your show unfortunately regardless of what the ministers are saying uh, Mary would still be in the same position no help nowhere to go. Uh, thanks, uh, Dave, f- for that. I'm not sure if there was any misunderstanding. Uh, it's the same situation uh, this morning as it was yesterday morning. Uh, there is no help. The little girl is in the hospital and the hospital is asking the mother to take the little girl home. Uh, the mother won't take the little girl home because she's afraid that if she does, she'll uh, be making funeral arrangements for her little girl very shortly because uh, the little girl is thinking about nothing else uh, and has been acting out that uh, already uh, and very uh, seriously. So Jane, uh, not my real name, says another text. Uh, the mental health uh, people, they put pressure on good people out there uh, and people are dying. Uh, somebody else, uh, Francis and Navin says, shame, shame, shame on this country. This child and her family are being let down. Where are our leaders? This is not right. What is happening? Minister, get your act together and do your job or else uh, get the hell out of it and give it to somebody who will do the job. Stop letting our young children down. Get your act together and set up some proper care system for our children that are suffering. This is going on far too long. How can you sleep at night, says uh, Francis in Navin. Claire in Mead says, why all the toing and froing about this girl? Where is the Minister for Health? Talking won't solve her problem. She should be put somewhere safe and secure. God help her. She needs help and she needs it now, says Claire. Thank you very much indeed, Claire. I have to agree with you. Um, The talk in itself won't do anything. That's all that we can do on the programme and that's why we're doing it, hoping that it'll prompt somebody into action. Uh, let me bring you a- an email uh, that has uh, come to us. Uh, there's an awful lot of people getting in touch. There's been so many people in touch emailing and so on, people offering help, offering to set up funds and so on. But what is needed here uh, is 
professional intervention uh, on a scale that I cannot even uh, contemplate uh, would be for a professional to suggest the professional intervention given the scale of uh, the problems that this girl is suffering but uh, this email from somebody who says I'm writing to you about the lady that was on uh, the show yesterday it broke my heart my niece is in the same position uh, she's the same age she attends CAMS but uh, she's uh, been given very little help from CAMS uh, she's been medicated but this doesn't seem to be working either she's not attended school since last September and they're happy enough for her to miss school as they don't want her on the premises because they can't be responsible for her actions it's affecting that entire family every time the phone rings your stomach sinks with fear as to what's going to be said my sister is at her wits end and feels she needs help now too she's dealing with this on a daily basis there's no help for children of this age it's sad it's disgraceful uh, and please keep me anonymous thank you indeed uh, for sharing uh, that with us and thanks to everybody who has been in touch Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, I think we could hear a little bit more uh, from Minister Mary Butler, Junior Minister of Health, who has responsibility for mental health, uh, and what she had to say about uh, this situation, which has uh, disturbed so many of us in the last couple of uh, days, uh, and how there is no help for this 14-year-old girl. Uh, this is the Minister speaking, and once again, this recording is from the 29th of April last year. As you said, just the, the details may have landed at my office today, but we will certainly have it looked into. And just to make one point, obviously all these decisions will always be made. Um, they're not political decisions. They will always be, be made from a clinical medical perspective. Okay, that's uh, Mary Butler. Let's speak, speak to Fiona Coyle, who's uh, the CEO of Mental Health Reform. Good morning to you, Fiona, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. This little girl is obviously being failed. Uh, the minister looking into it uh, and uh, the clinicians obviously looking into it, uh, but the failure continues. Uh, is anybody to blame? Yeah, like I, I think each and every child who, who uses their mental health service, you know, deserve appropriate care and support. And I think what we've seen from, you know, recent reports in, in, that have come out in, in terms of services um, in Kerry uh, and elsewhere um, shows that, you know, the, the, the system has, has failed uh, children and young people. Um, you know, we have a huge legacy of under, underinvestment and and you know this has caused serious deficit in our in our mental health system, and you know I think well, from what we're hearing, you know from from parents and guardians and from the young people mm-hmm. themselves is that you know there's a real need for um, for independent support. It's you know the the, the services and accessing them can be complex, and you know there's no kind of national advocacy service there for the children and young mm-hmm. people, you know, to support them to kind of question kind of the, the treatments to make complaints to raise issues to, to navigate the system and and I think that that makes people feel a bit lost and you know I think introducing something like that with urgency now given all that's happened um it would would really kind of help ensure that that we're really, we're not failing these children and young people anymore mm. is there any point in navigating the system if the system isn't capable of giving the help that's needed. You spoke about a deficit in the system and does that mean that the system 
is incapable that when someone of this age group, and it seems to apply more so to children than in what people over the age of 18, that when they're in a crisis of this sort, that the system cannot respond. Yeah, like we know that there's still no 24-7 crisis intervention services for young people and children. You know, emergency departments, they're often the only place where, where people can resort to when they're in a crisis. And, you know, it's it's really inappropriate, can be really distressing experience for a young person with, with mental health difficulties. Like, I, I think what we, we need to recognise as well, though, is that we live in a, in a country where there's a postcode lottery in terms of the services that, that you will receive. And there are some brilliant services being provided to young people in particular parts of the country. But it's, it's very different from, from county to county, even within counties mm. as well. And we, we need to move to ensure that, you know, there is equal access, that no matter where you are, that you're able to, to access the, the appropriate services. And, you know, I think it's really important as well, you know, to, to address like some of the, the kind of these long waiting lists. Like we know at the moment, like access to primary care services is having a knock on impact on children and adolescents' mental health services. Um, because, you know, we've nine and a half thousand children on a waiting list for primary care psychology mm. appointments. And, you know, that has a knock on effect then on those specialist services. And we're seeing, you know, people being referred on that should have gotten um, support earlier and, you know, are perhaps in an inappropriate service. Uh, so, so we need to look at the system as a whole to ensure that the young people and the children, that they're, they're getting the, the right services at the right time, at the right place. Mm. And, you mm. know, there shouldn't be a need for, for anyone to have to, to raise issues yeah. directly you know with the minister and to come out publicly and share share their stories yeah. um you know we we should have a system that's able to respond to individuals directly and give them the support they need yeah there's something uh, terribly wrong. Uh, it, it is almost obscene that this is playing out uh, in public and there's obviously problems here and I, I read out a, a, an email uh, just a, a few moments ago from um, a, another family who say they're in a, a very similar situation and every hour of the day uh, they're dreading uh, if the phone rings or if there's a call to the door uh, and what the news might be. I think anybody listening uh, to this little girl's mother on the radio yesterday uh, had to be disturbed by what they were listening to. Very, very uh, stressful situation. Uh, a woman who is helpless. A helpless woman despite herself. Uh, 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 she's done everything that she can. Uh, she's brought this uh, to the door of anyone and anyone who might uh, give her the time of day. Uh, it's been raised in the doll on two occasions. Uh, she, uh, I think, did a, a great public service yesterday by speaking about this uh, and um, it couldn't have been easy for her to do that uh, and to put her daughter into the limelight. We've uh, tried to keep everybody involved, anonymous, obviously, because we're talking about juveniles and uh, and very private issues. Uh, but uh, she did it as a, a last-ditch attempt to try and bring attention to the situation because the hospital in Drogheda, Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, are telling her that uh, they've finished with their care for her because uh, they were treating her for a physical problem and she has to go home. And she's saying, I don't want to take my daughter home because if I do, I'm going to end up burying her. 
and she hung up from the radio programme yesterday only to get a, a call from Our Lady of Her Lord's Hospital saying uh, we still want you to take your daughter home um, the minister has been contacted uh, the minister uh, has told us she can't talk directly but she's liaising with the HSE she said that in February to Peter Fitzpatrick TD she said it in April of last year to Rory Omuraku TD have, have you any advice for um, this woman uh, who is in such a, a desperate situation? It is helpless because nobody is there to help. Uh, and she is so fearful and genuinely fearful that her daughter will die. Her daughter will make the, that irreversible decision to end her life if she gets out of hospital and is free to carry out what she wants to do. Uh, sh- should she continue to refuse to take her home? Or w- what advice would you give to her, Fiona? Yeah, like I, I, it's a very distressing situation, and I can only empathise. And you know, I, 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 I can't kind of give advice, you know, because I, I, I don't know. I suppose the, the full detailed facts, and we, we, we can't comment on, I suppose, individual cases. But I know that there are many individuals out there who, who may be listening in, and who may be in, in similar situations, and. One thing I would like to, to, to state is that, you know, Mental Health Reform, we're a membership-based organisation. We have over 75 member organisations, many of whom, you know, are, are kind of community and voluntary sector organisations who are delivering, um, you know, mental health services and supports. And, you know, I, I would really urge people, there are a lot of organisations out there who can help and, and who, who can support, you know, their organisations who, you know, like, like Bodywise, who are the National Eating Disorders Organisation, who provide support groups and guidance and advice. Um, we also have the Irish Advocacy Network who, who help, um, who help um, service users and, and their family and, and supporters. So, you know, I, I think, you know, they're, they're just to make people aware, there is a lot of support out there and to have a look at our website mentalhealthreform.ie and perhaps one of the organisations you know they may align with 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 the kind of the the mental health difficulty you or or your loved mm-hmm. one is experiencing and they may be able to provide that that specific um support but you know I I think we just need to ensure you know as a country and anyone who is listening and who's empathising with these stories we we just need to kind of keep pressure on to ensure mm. for years mental health slipped down the priority list. Yeah, and it's know. one of the things uh, that has really struck me in the last uh, couple of uh, days. Uh, I'm slightly overwhelmed. I'm doing this sort of thing a very long time, Fiona, but I'm, I am mean, overwhelmed uh, by people uh, and the amount of people who are contacting to say, uh, I'm in a similar situation or exactly the same situation uh, as was the case with the last email or I have very serious concerns uh, about my young daughter uh, and of different ages and so on and all under 18. Uh, the little girl we're talking about uh, has a, a lot of problems it seems one of them is anorexia and you mentioned body wise that's why as in the question body wise yeah. W-H-Y-S uh, and they can be reached on 0121 07906 that's 2107906 that's a, a Dublin number uh, as well uh, but th- 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 this problem obviously is not unique uh, it's because the mother has got to her wits end and made this last ditch effort to get some attention that we're talking about it now. But this obviously is happening uh, to lesser degrees and to the same degree all of the time. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
that in, in, there are a lot of young people as well who, who don't have, you know, supporters or, or, or perhaps family members who, who, are, who are advocating and who are speaking out on their behalf. You know, there was a recent report looking at, you know, children in care in particular and how they're really um, not receiving the, the mental health um, services and supports that, that they need. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the last couple of months we've seen a sea change where, you know, previously, you know, mental health is, there's, there's still so much stigma around it in this country and people don't want their, their child or loved one mm. to undergo that stigma. So, you know, they, they keep quiet and, you know, they're so grateful for the services they, they receive. And now there's, there's a lot of people, you know, who come to us who are getting good services as well. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of good, you know, clinicians around the country. There just isn't enough of them. Mm. You know, there's amazing people delivering wonderful services. But, you know, we, we have 73 CAMS teams all of, of which, I, of the majority of which we know is under, are understaffed. And we know that even kind of 73 is not enough. The recommendation yeah. is that we need 100. So, and so many you know, young people without a, a diagnosis, uh, as is the case with this girl. She's anorexic, but there's no other diagnosis. And that appears to be part of the problem. And she gets one hour counselling uh, a week or has been up until this point. I asked... Uh, I think two or three occasions over the last couple of days, different people. Uh, does this girl have to die? Uh, in the circumstance, and based on what we know about this story, uh, it's a very reasonable question because it seems a very real prospect. But I, I think it's unacceptable that that is the situation. Would you agree that it's unacceptable that we are sitting uh, in a radio studio talking about a real person's real life and if they have to die? Yeah, no, no, we, we we shouldn't be, you know, these are these are conversations that that should not be happening. Um, like I again, I can't comment on individual mm. cases, but like we we need to have a, a, a service there that that's meeting, you know, the the needs. You know, I I think what we do know is like, you know, every child who's not getting a service, it, it's not just them that's impacted. You know, there's the family, there could be other siblings, there's the broader school family the community you know it has a knock on effect on 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 others within within communities and we need to really ensure that you know everyone who who needs support is is getting it and you know c- clearly we we know that that's not what's happening at the moment um and it it needs to be you know it needs to be easier as well for for families and for young people to be able to understand the system to navigate to know you know what they're entitled to what they're not you know what what services are available and that it doesn't add you know additional mm. um stress or or distress to to the situation uh, and if those services aren't available well yeah <laughs> There's an obvious answer to that. Uh, make them available, I suppose. Yeah, but it it needs to be prioritised. Like the yeah. other thing mm. we've been calling for, um, for 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 the last number of years is, you know, for the service. There's there's a lot of issues, and we we can't get away from, you know, there's recruitment and retention issues, and you know other broader issues that are is impacting our health services, um, across the board, not just mental health, but 
you know, there's there's leadership needed to drive forward reforms. And in particular within the HSE, you know, there was a director of mental health services role that was done away with a number of years ago. Now, we're asking that there should be a director of mental health services there, that that role should report directly into Paul Reid. Um, and that, you know, that, that it's, re- it's really important that mental health is given the, 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 the kind of the, the spotlight that it deserves. You know, there's a lot of lip service over the last couple of years talking about parity of esteem between mental and physical well-being. And, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about mental health during the pandemic. But unless you have, you know, commitment within the HSC to drive forward reform, to drive forward services um, and, you know, to have the buy-in from, you know, the most senior person in there, which is is currently Paul Reid, um, you know, ch- change will will be slow, and you know those who who need the supports and services may may still struggle. Um, so so that's something mm. I think we really need to 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 to, to prioritise. Mm. And you know, coming up to budget as well, you can't have you know high quality services without you know, investment. And we, we as a country need to ensure that, you know, all our politicians are aware that, you know, we're, we're, we're not, you know, we, we're, we're not putting up with the services we have anymore. You know, there have been too many, too many stories, too many reports that this needs to be a top priority for this government. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we need to ensure that, that that message is getting across strongly. Yeah, and I, I think this story will help all of us understand uh, why mental health services are often referred to as the Cinderella of the health service. Fiona, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. So Just to mention, uh, BodyWise can be reached on 0121 07906. That's 0121 07906. So sad can uh, offer help uh, if you want to, to speak to somebody on 041 And the Samaritans can be reached on 116-123. And our thanks to Fiona Coyle, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Mental Health Reform. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, another local TD, Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster, joins us now. Good morning to you, Imelda, and thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. I'm not going to ask you to try and make sense of uh, this, but why is this the situation, do you think? I think, Mike, um, the system is so broken. It's so impenetrable, so totally dysfunctional. I mean, if you look, take the HSE, their service providers, they're tasked with one job only, and that's providing a service. And that's not being delivered. You've, you hear you, anytime you, and this case, as harrowing as it is, and as harrowing as it was to listen to that interview yesterday, and I spoke with the mother Mary yesterday also. But, um, you know, when anytime, and there's so many other cases right across the state, and I would deal through my constituency offices, other TDs would too of so many cases and you're trying to penetrate that system and it's just it's just not there and when you listen to the the harrowing interview you just say to yourself like what is it about health service providers and in this case mental health service provision that you know parents have to literally reach the depths of 
absolute despair in an attempt to get the help they desperately need for their child. I mean, that, that's where we're at. And it, it, it just can't continue. Children can't continue to be treated like that. It's, it's inhumane. It's unfair and it has to stop. Mm. I mean, it's just horrific. And even speaking with the mother yesterday, I mean, unless you are made of stone, you couldn't be moved. And even with other cases in the office, I mean, it's just the system just isn't there. It's just not there. To, it's, it just needs a total overhaul in relation to mental health service provision. And at some stage, and I mean, you know yourself even dealing with HSE. Mm. Everybody knows. You just, you're pushed from pillar to post. And I'm a TD, so I'm a public representative. I get that also. So you can imagine people, ordinary people, trying to, you know, get through and get services and all that sort of thing. You're obstructed, you're mm. denied. You're, it's all of that. And somebody okay. somewhere has to be held accountable. It's, it's at that stage now mm. that people have to be uh, held accountable. It can't go on. When? Uh, are, are after Mary buries her daughter or uh, I mean like what's going to happen here is anybody going to help her I mean is all all this talk a waste of time and I don't mean that glibly no yeah yeah no and do you know something I was just saying to myself yesterday and I'm I'm not clamazing you at all but fair play to yourself and your team yesterday. Well, I think fair play to Mary. Mary Mary is the person. Yeah, she's done a great public service because she's, as you said, this is a problem that uh, a lot of people are facing into and and she's made it very clear what it means when we talk about mental health services and underinvestment and lack of resources and all that. Uh, They're all just words to us. We go, oh, that's terrible. Uh, But when you hear that pain and angst and fear, that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mary, for, for... coming on to the radio mm. but again out of an act of utter despair yeah. I mean she, but was there any she, point to it will she get any well, help well that's 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 what I'm saying in someone somewhere has to be held accountable and even and I'm not making this political at all but you've I, I'm off I often you know if you're speaking to the health minister you, you often say to yourself, God, if you can say, Jesus, would you just get a grip? This HSE are a law unto themselves. Somebody in government has to get a grip on them. You just, nobody is getting the services that they need. Nobody. And as I said, the system is so broken, so totally dysfunctional, that something has to be done. There has to be an overhaul. And particularly, say, in mental health service provision. Mm. I mean, we hear of cases all the time. You know, clearly, another thing, too, that young girl is in the system two years. So how can someone be in a system two years and not have a proper diagnosis? How can such an acute case get one hour a week and then told for the rest of the week to deal with or to to use self-coping mechanisms? I mean, what does that even mean in an acute case like this? Mm. The mother actually told me yesterday, I'm just afraid I won't won't get there quick enough. That's how acute this Mm. case is. She sets her alarm every hour uh, of the night. and, Mm -hmm. And this young girl is told you'll get an hour a week 
but the rest of the week you mm. use self-coping mechanism. Mm. I mean, that's not healthcare she's, provision. She's, the mother is waking up every hour to make sure she's still alive and then yeah. uh, the daughter wakes her up you, last week yeah. and says, I, I've just uh, injected myself with an EpiPen. But you know family can live like that. Mm. No no family. That's, I mean, that's what I mean when I say the system is so dysfunctional. That's not mental health care provision. And there's, there's really no excuse for, for it. And any time you contact the HSE, mm. you hear the, the usual spiel, oh, the multi-agency mm. approach, the wraparound service. Mm. But where are they? It's not happening. It doesn't happen. Yeah, in reality, it doesn't happen. And lots of people are, are, are in touch with us and they all want to help. Uh, uh, an awful lot of people want to help. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that any of our listeners can do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you mm. can do. There's nothing the mother can do. You need very serious professional uh, yeah. help for this young girl uh, and uh, if it's not forthcoming I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen to her and that's exactly what her mur- mother is worried about but, but it has to it has to it has to happen well, it right? has to and happen it's, mm. it's one of as mm. I said so many other cases and many of them very very acute also it has to happen it just can't go on a system like this mm. it just can't and the minister as I said he just has to intervene and intervene urgently because, yeah. you know, I've, I've written to the minister. I've written to the head of mental services in Loudoun Mead. I've also written to the CEO of, of um, the HSE, Paul Reid, and we have him in, in a couple of weeks for the public um, accounts committee. And we asked in particular for the, the, the department to discuss CAMS. That's how bad it is. Solely the discussion is on child and and adult mental health services. Mm. That's how bad it is. And uh, an email from Paula, uh, who worked uh, in mental health services uh, with young people for eight years, and she said it was very frustrating listening to Mary on the programme because there's no services for anyone under 18. Uh, She said uh, that she faced many situations with young people from the age of 12 upwards who self-harmed and just like Mary there was no services there to help Uh, uh, the best they could do was put them on suicide watch she said she was in Temple Street one evening with a young person who attempted at least three times that week to self-harm and uh, she said she had a a HSE guard escort to the hospital to be told there was nothing that the hospital could do Uh, the reason was that the hospital is not a mental health facility and that's part of the problem Yeah, and that happens all the time again dealing with, with people in my, my office that out of desperation they go to the emergency department the emergency department try and refer them that referral mm. goes absolutely nowhere mm. and they end up back in the emergency department again and it's just a continuous cycle but what is the point and this is what I find most frustrating what is the point in having a minister in government that knows this is happening and still can't get them to get their act together. Mm. I mean, that's what a government is for. Mm. And why is it not happening? I um, even heard the, the frustration of um, Minister Anne Rabbit in relation to contact with the HSE, that they just weren't answering the questions. But, I mean, the onus is on the government mm. to, to bring in the changes that are required. Yeah. And if there is an issue with um, recruitment and retention, and there is, to be fairness, but that's also another issue itself. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't they get professional staff and why can't they keep them 
Is it because the system is so broken that nobody will, and the services are not there that nobody wants to work yeah. on it? Just, just no, on that uh, HSE Garda escort that Paula was talking about in her email, she was saying it's different if you're over 18, but she said at that time she actually begged the Gardaí to do something for that young person. Yeah. Uh, but they said their hands were tied. The only place they could put her was into a juvenile cell, which they didn't even have. Yeah, ludicrous, um, ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. totally broken. Yeah. And, I mean, the government just... I mean, we had um, a private member's motion about two or three weeks ago on this very issue. And, you know, the government know what the system is like. They know it's broken. And the problem is that they have to take the HSE by the scruff of the neck. Literally, I mean, they have to overhaul the whole system because, as I said at the start, the one task that the HSE and all the different departments and divisions and CAMs, they have to overhaul it because it's not, the the one task they have is providing a service and they're not delivering it. All right, well, it's not just that young girl's mother who's uh, appealing for help. Uh, We've heard from so many people who say this is an unacceptable situation and people are getting in touch with us to say that they want something done. Uh, hopefully you're right and something will be done. Uh, that's uh, our, our hope uh, as we go into the weekend uh, this morning. Uh, we leave there for the moment, Amelda. Thank you indeed for okay, joining thanks, us. Thank Mike. you very much indeed. Uh, Sinn Féin TD uh, for Loud and East Me, the Melda Monster. Michael Reed on LMFM. You heard earlier this morning how Rory O'Muraku raised uh, this case with uh, the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health, Mary Butler, at the end of April last year. Uh, and in case uh, the case was forgotten, this is how Peter Fitzpatrick raised it at the beginning of this month. Minister Butler, uh, I wanted to raise an issue that uh, of a 15-year-old girl, a child and dog, who tried to commit suicide last week. Uh, this child is crying for help. She contacted the helpline last week and only for the the cleverness of the operator, she realised there was something going on and she contacted the guards and the guards came to the house and saved the young girl took her to the hospital. This is according to the mother. Uh, Minister, this is not the first time that this child tried to commit suicide. And uh, like the, the problem there at the moment is uh, nobody seems to want to take responsibility. Uh, when she went to the hospital, the guards took her to the hospital, the hospital t- then told her that she had no medical condition and the CAMS got involved. And then CAMS got her to see uh, a psychiatrical consultant. They got her to see social workers. She keeps telling them that she wants to commit, commit suicide, but at the same time, too, she wants to live. It's the lack of effort here at the moment in Minnesota. The problem I find here at the moment is, like, nobody knows what the mental issues between Mondays and Fridays from 9 to 5. And when you go looking for any, anything at the weekends, you're just completely wasting your time. You go to the guards, the guards are saying, listen, what can we do? And they, you know, the guards can go to the house, take them to the hospital, the next thing they will release. So, Minister, what I'm trying to say to you, Minister, is what are we going to do going forward here at the moment, Minister? Like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what it is at the moment, is because like, parents ring me, they have a problem. You lift the phone out, you ring the hospital, they said it's not them. You ring CAMS, it's not them. You ring Tootsie, you ring, you ring everybody. And honestly, you're just like a, like a, dog, a dog chasing its tail, going in circles and circles and circles. I, mean, sorry, I heard you earlier on uh, speaking there that uh, you spent millions doing this and millions doing that. It's no point spending millions doing this and doing that if we're not actually going to help somebody. So, Minister, I have a 15-year-old child here at the moment that she's looking for help. I contacted Minister Butler's office three or four months ago, the last time she tried to commit suicide, and nothing was done. 
I had a name. I had a name. I'm going to pass the name of the minister. And I'm, not, I'm, not going to, I'm just going to say, please help this child involved. Yeah, that's Peter Fitzpatrick on the 2nd of February. He said he had brought it to the attention three or four months previously to the attention of the minister. And we heard Rory O'Muraku on the 29th of April raising it with the minister this morning. There continues to be a crisis, a very real crisis. Uh, and we'll conclude today with a comment that came to us uh, from Grania and Drogheda, who says, we hear so much about the problem of suicide in this country and how more needs to be done. And here we have a 14-year-old child who wants to die, is trying to die, and we know about it, but there's nobody to help. How can you balance that? How can that be? The poor mother is doing everything. She's doing her best and she's nowhere to turn. You can hear the desperation in her voice. I just can't imagine what she's going through. Who's going to step up to the plate, Michael? Is there not a bed in the country in a psychiatric facility where she can be given professional help and where she would be safe from harm? As a society, We cannot ignore this, and sadly, this child is not alone. There are others in similar situations as the one that you're highlighting now, Michael. It's just so disturbing. Thank you, Grania, for your call and indeed your comment and to everybody who has been in touch with us today. That's our programme for this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.